Hey everybody, welcome back for another Melanated Faith episode. We are super excited because today we're going to do a movie review of the movie Passing. And if you haven't seen it, Catherine's going to give you a little bit of a synopsis before we dive into our discussion. Yes. So Passing is a new movie on Netflix. It is directed by Rebecca Hall and it stars Ruth Nega and Tessa Thompson. And basically the premise of the movie... Oh. I I also want to say that Passing is based on a book by the author's name is Nell Larson. Um, And I highly recommend if you've not read the book to read the book along with the movie, just because I think always the book is better. But um, we'll get into the review. The movie is good, too. I I liked the movie, but there's some context. I think that it's hard. It doesn't translate on screen. Um, So essentially, Passing is a story of two light skinned black women, one named Irene Redfield, who is living her life as a middle class black woman married to a doctor in Harlem. And the other, um, Claire (laughs) Ballou, who is living as a white woman, is married to a white man. And in the movie, I think that they actually live in in Chicago. Um, In the book, they live in Europe. Um, And they happen to be in New York. And Irene lives her life, Tessa Thompson's character, Irene, lives her life as a Black woman. But one day, it's really hot in New York, and she needs like some iced tea. So she decides to pass um, to go into this all-white hotel. The movie is set in the 1920s, 1930s. She decides to pass as a white woman to go into this all-white hotel to have iced tea and to sit where it's cool to cool down before she finishes running her errands. And so it's like while she's doing this, she runs into Claire, who was a childhood best friend of hers, but they haven't seen each other in years. Um, And so then the movie is about what happens in their relationship as they're back in each other's orbit. Um, They're both questioning their choices, the things that they've made and the choices that they've made in their life and what has led them to this point. And then, yeah, and then what it means to be sort of a woman of color, black woman um, in the 1920s. So it explores some really interesting themes of black female friendship and classism and racism and all kinds of things. Um, and so I'm excited to dive into this conversation with you, Faith. I know. I think it explores some really interesting themes that, um, you know, we need to talk about. We need to talk about what it means to be passing and then also what that looks like back then in the movie. But I think even what that looks like today. Yes, exactly. So we're going to dive in. Um, So let's, Faith, just give me your like first impressions of the movie. Like, what did you think? Okay, my honest first impression is that the cinematography is beautiful. Um, I really loved that. And um, my brother's a videographer and I love videography. So all those things like mean a lot to me. So I loved the cinematography and the costuming, like all that stuff like was really, was really, really great to me. The costuming, all of that stuff. It was super, super great. I really loved it. Um, but I will say, honestly, it was a little slow. I struggled through the slowness of the movie. I 100% um, enjoyed the messaging of the movie, but I felt like for me, it was just moving a little bit slow. I don't do well with slow movies just in general. Yeah, I've, I've tried. My mom likes a bunch of slow movies, so we she would force me to watch the slow movies and I just fall asleep. <laughs> it's just not my, um, I don't know, I need a little bit more speed. Um, but I think that the point all like overall, like the points coming across, a lot of nuances, there was a lot of nonverbal communication that was very important throughout the movie. And I think 
maybe that's where some of the slowness came in because if you're not paying attention, you're missing the nonverbal cues that are kind of like building throughout the movie and kind of like painting the picture of a tension, I feel like, that starts to build between the two of them throughout the film. Yeah. I Now that I'm like thinking back on it, I like watched it in segments. So like maybe that's why it's not, I'm not remembering, but I agree that it is very well shot and beautifully done. I think it had to be done in black and white because my personal opinion in real life, like, Tessa Thompson and to me neither Tessa Thompson or Ruth Nega could pass for a white woman in in real life so I feel like it had to be done in black and white and I also thought it was interesting so Rebecca Hall the woman that directed this movie um when she decided she read the book and decided she wanted to take on this project she found out that her own mom was passing her most of her life her mom just never talked about her her background and Mm -hmm. so you can just see like the tenderness like the care she takes with the story and it's very like not judgmental of either woman because I think that there can be like well why would you do this or why would you choose that and I feel like yeah I think she did a really good job of of just this sort of snapshot in time. It's really beautiful. I think Tessa Thompson should win an Oscar just for her pauses and looks and size in this movie. There's like this scene where she's laying in bed with her husband and he makes some comment about, well, everybody regrets their life. And she's very, she responds, like her words are, that's not true. I love my life. Her body language and her face say, no, I don't. And the way in which she communi- Tessa Thompson communicates both of those emotions as she's laying there in bed with her husband, sweetie, get your collect your things because yeah. <laughs> Tessa Thompson was giving what she was supposed to give. And I also realized you're right. It was, it's a lot of looking. It's a very silent movie. There's not yeah. a ton of dialogue. <laughs> Um, yeah, so you do have to you do have to like sit and really watch and really watch it because you will miss things if you're not like if you it's not like a movie. It's kind of like Minhari. It's not a movie you can do a bunch of other things while watching. You you kind of have to pay attention to really grasp the fullness of it. Okay, so just for people who might not know, um, Faith, do you want to talk about kind of what passing is historically? I thought you made a really good point about historic passing and then what, you know, what would be the modern version of that? Yeah. So historic passing was basically just, you know, if you were light skinned enough, you could be, you know, potentially pass as a white person. Um, But also a lot of the people who were passing were typically mixed, um, you know, biracial kids who were, you know, obviously probably, you know, descendants of um, somebody within their family who had been their mother or grandmother had been, you know, raped by their enslaver. And so now you have, you know, a bunch of mixed kids that now have um, this identity and typically their identity is black because of the one drop rule which was if you have any you know non-white blood you're considered that other um, ethnicity basically so so anyways you had people who could pass who looked you know close enough to being white that they could go into these places and communities and not be suspected as being a black person And so with passing comes, of course, you know, the access, the closer you are um, in skin color, the closer you have, you know, access to white privilege um, and what that affords you in society, which back then is a really big deal because, you know, there was a lot of things that black people could not do. And so when you are passing, you're getting access to a whole different world that's just not afforded to you. And... 
In this case, though, you also are having to let go of, die to the self, the part of you, your your complete identity, you know, as a black person. I feel like the difference today is that you don't necessarily have to die to your identity uh, and your connection to the com- to the black community, even if you are quote unquote passing. But some people do it, you know. Some people still refuse to acknowledge that side of themselves and their heritage and who they are, and so yeah, then they, you know, live their life, you know, as a white person. But I feel like this movie is showing that there's a there's a high price to pay yeah. when you are denying your own identity and you're furthering the identity crisis that you might already be feeling like it's just extended now because you have all of these mixed emotions and feelings about who you are and who you've decided to be right that's what Claire's crisis is in this whole movie she's decided to be white but misses her black yeah I think yeah that's right I think it's interesting yeah I think focusing on the high price that she paid because honestly based on what we see in the movie of her life as a white woman versus as a black woman she seems much happier and fuller herself when she's um in Harlem and I also think one thing I thought was really interesting is that (laughs) the black people around her like immediately knew she was black like none of them were confused and they immediately accepted her because I think sometimes there's there's this narrative and this is not to denigrate anybody's experience because you know we all struggle through periods of life where it's like struggling with acceptance no matter I think whatever your racial or ethnic identity but I think oftentimes there's this narrative of like oh you know if you're light-skinned darker-skinned black people reject you and in the movie we don't see that like they're like you know and it becomes a source of like jealousy and frustration for Irene because here she is she's dedicated all this time and energy to this community And then her friend comes in and she's just like the shiny new thing, you know, this, you know, um, it's almost like they're like so excited that she's like fawning over her, fawning over her that they're that she would deign like to come back into the community. And so they're so excited to have her even knowing like she is living her life as a white woman. And I think one thing I think is interesting is related to like what passing might look like now is I think it's code switching. Like, I think that which expands the category of people who can do that right like it doesn't code switching has nothing to do with your skin color and has everything to do with like changing the way you dress or speak or I don't know interact in spaces to be more socially acceptable particularly maybe in, in predominantly white spaces to make white people more comfortable and I think that there is a conscious choice I think that's the other thing that's like good like about this movie and this conversation is that people are choosing this because there's some benefit to it, but there's also a cost. And I think, yeah. you know, people wouldn't code switch if there were no benefit, if it didn't make it easier for you to get a promotion or to be accepted or, or whatever the case may be. Um, but that there is always a cost, a cost to your identity, to your happiness. Yeah. So I don't know. I thought, I think that's really interesting. Um, a related, I, I really want to talk about Irene and Claire's friendship. <laughs> as like tension um i mean would you even say it's a friendship i don't know i don't even feel like they're friends i yeah because i feel like for irene because she was kind of like i don't even want to see claire again like first of all her husband is like super racist and like i'm sitting here trying not to like you know out her you know basically and she's just so shook like you're married to this 
racist person, you know, and you want to be my friend? Like, no, like, I don't want to, like, she doesn't even want to associate herself, right? Because that could bring danger to her or her family. So she's kind of like, no, thanks. And then Claire just kind of pops up and is like, forces this friendship and kind of like comes into her life and kind of like takes over. But then at the same time, Irene lets her even if it's like begrudgingly, like she doesn't really mean it, but she does. So I don't know. Like, it's not a friendship. It's, it's not a friendship. Yeah, I would say yeah. that. In my terms, I would say is no. It's not a No, friendship. I think that, you know, what's so interesting about that is I would 100% agree. I don't think they're friends. I think Claire wants to be friends. She is, des- she is the needy person. She's popping up. Irene ignores her. Like after they have their initial where they run into each other. Irene is like, I'm done with this girl. Her husband, Claire's husband, is super racist. He calls her the N-word as a nickname because apparently in the she summer gets her skin gets darker. <laughs> but he is like, he hates black people. And he makes that like abundantly clear. But I do think it's interesting the ways in which Irene is more concerned for Claire's safety and the likelihood that her husband will find out and hurt her than Claire is. So it's like this really interesting dynamic of where I don't think Irene really, in traditional sense, Irene doesn't really like her or want to be friends with her, but is so protective of her. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that's such a like, yeah, like a a community thing, I think, with Black people. Oftentimes for even people we don't really care for, we want them to be safe. We want them to thrive, maybe sometimes away from us. Like you, I want you to be well, but be well over there. there. (laughs) But I just, it was so interesting to watch their relationship because it clearly is, I mean, even with Irene, there is, they're both jealous of each other, I think is interesting. Like they both are like the grass is greener, right? Like Irene loves how, easily and carefree and confident Claire is. Irene worries about everything. She's hyper-conscious about everything. Claire's jealous of Irene because her, you know, she has these two boys and her house is like so full and she does all these, you know, she's living in Harlem and she's meeting all these like famous, you know, Harlem artists and writers at the time. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, maybe frenemies. I mean, I don't know. It It was like an interesting, their relational dynamic was very interesting because I yeah you don't really see so much of her friendship in the movie yeah and I honestly think that the fact that Claire was so friendly with Brian and Brian was friendly with her you know Irene was kind of feeling a way that her husband was you know her husband her sons you know um Zoo who was the housekeeper like they were all enthralled with Claire and it was just like you're literally, like, taking my life, you know? Like, you're replacing me. I feel like I would be salty if my husband was really enthralled with another woman who was supposed to be my friend. And I think he was, like, being friendly. But as the story goes on, it's like it builds this tension where Irene doesn't know if he likes her. And so now we, as the reader, like, and watchers or the in the audience, we don't know if the husband, you know, likes her. So now we're all kind of like, wait... Do you like Claire? Like, what is that? Um, And so I think that was like another layer of tension in their friendship because she's kind of like, girl, are you trying to steal my man? Like, what are you doing? It's like interesting because in the beginning you get the sense that like 
it the movie is interesting and i think also the book is does this really well is it like sets up this tension because initially it makes it seem like claire and john are kind of not on the same page because they don't have that great of marriage because she has this big secret and you know even when she laughs at his like jokes they're really insults and it's just like a survival mechanism but then when you meet irene and her husband, Brian, you think, oh, they have a great marriage. They're still so in love kind of thing. And then as the story progresses, it's definitely more clear in the book that like Brian and Irene might just be staying together for their kids. Like they don't have that happy like marriage. There's a lot of like tension. I mean, one thing in the movie that comes up, um, there's a lynching. I think it's in Arkansas. And Irene mm-hmm. is very much like, again, dedicated to this like protection, perfect you know, middle, upper middle class doctor's wife life in Harlem. And she doesn't want to tell her boys about it. But her old, her her oldest son is maybe like 10, 11, 12. And he has all these questions. And the and her husband, Brian, is like, no, he needs to know this. He needs to, we need to talk about this. And so mm-hmm. it, it just like builds the tension. And I think in the book, in the movie, I don't think they conveyed it quite as well. But in the book, it becomes there were like hints of it where where Irene would catch Brian and Claire like whispering but I feel like in the book it was just like much more explicit like she's not crazy like like yeah I don't think in the it's not that Claire is trying to steal him but Brian is definitely it in the book I feel like the idea is if Claire was to suggest an affair Brian would be like yes if that makes sense yeah yeah where it's like she's not trying she's just being herself and not she's not trying to like steal him so much but brian is like he's into her he's into her the grass is greener he's not that happy with irene they have a lot of tension and conflict um, yeah because i think it's like i just think that for brian i think in it it comes across that like Irene's carefulness and her dedicatedness to this constructing of this like perfect ideal. Um, you know, I think the term that they used at the time was like a race man or a race woman, which is like your credit to your race, you yeah. know? And I feel like Irene is like very dedicated to this idea of being like a perfect um, black woman, mother, wife, etc. And I think Brian is kind of like, you spend too much time in your head worrying about all these other things and people's opinions of you you let people walk over you you do all the you know these kinds of things and I think he's frustrated with her and I think the equivalent of in kind of a modern conversation is like Irene is very dedicated to respectability politics like she's very dedicated to this idea of what's respectable and part of her frustration with Claire is Claire does not care what's what's you know Claire does not really care what's respectable because she's and part of it is I think Claire has lived her life she's also in it like she's it doesn't respectability doesn't matter when she can fit within the construct of whiteness and then come out of it and be accepted yeah i was like for claire it doesn't matter she's not worried about respectability because she's living as a white woman so she can do whatever she wants i mean you know her life is not if she steps out of line or speaks to a clerk in the wrong way like her life is not in danger in the same way irene's would be so this idea that you get to be a little bit more carefree and careless because you know you're she's living her life as a white woman than she would as a black woman but I just think yeah I think (laughs) I in some ways I feel so bad for Irene I feel like she's a very sympathetic character because she's trying so hard and it's like no one appreciates her efforts and and yeah so I want to go back to you you brought up um Zoo who is um Irene and Brian's housekeeper and Mm -hmm. takes care of their kids um and in the movie and in the book, 
uh, Claire has just like this easy relationship with Zoo. And <laughs> there's this scene where Claire just pops up. Guys, do not just pop up at people's houses, okay? I, I don't mean, care. It's just rude. Who does it that? It is so rude. Don't do that. Don't do that. So she just pops up and <laughs> Irene comes with these groceries and like Zoo and Claire kind of sitting in the backyard having girl chat. And so I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about another thing that I think is interesting in the movie is this idea of class and classism. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts of like, I just thought it was so interesting that this is Irene's housekeeper and Irene, Zoo and Irene don't chit chat like that. Like they, I mean, Irene is very like, you work for me and you are our maid. And I think also the thing is, Zoo is a darker skinned um, woman. She's obviously black. She cannot pass. And like, she is very dedicated. Irene is very dedicated to these class distinctions of like, we're up here and Zoo is kind of a lower class. And so she's not trying to, traverse that, be friends, have any kind of class solidarity, even as she works for the equivalent of like the NAACP and racial uplift. Right. (laughs) She, I think the really interesting thing about Irene is that she is very distinctly holding to the classist, you know, delineations, right? Like, okay, I'm, um, I'm upper middle class and you are lower class. You work for me. There's no camaraderie or like wanting to just like share and and just talk to Zoo. And I think the thing with Claire is that she's just kind of really open and friendly and just kind of wants to talk to anybody. And she's just craving community so bad that she'll just whatever, wherever I can get it, whoever I can talk to. And I think she's kind of just like open in that way. But it's kind of like Claire has this like childlike hunger for acceptance and community and people and all of this stuff because she's denied herself of it for so long. And it's kind of like, you know, when you when you don't have like your favorite snack or your favorite something to eat and then you finally have access to it again and then you like you know you go ham you want to have so much you want to you know you want to have it with this and that and you want to have it all the time and I think for her it's kind of like I haven't had this community and however I can get it in whatever form I want it and so that's what she's doing and I think she reminds me of one of those people that's like kind of not self-aware like when you're really overstepping and you're doing too much but they're not catching like the social cues like hey yeah. could you like back up a little bit i feel like that's clear she's just so excited to be around everybody that she's just not thinking about how she's kind of like stepping on irene's toes but irene at the same time is really i feel like subconsciously enthralled with the way that claire can move in and out of the white world and she's intrigued by it and feels like well what if I was to do that. Like, could I really want to do that all the time? But because I think she holds herself to such an esteem and you see the classism that she upholds, even in the Black community, that she's not willing to give up the esteem that she's built in the Black community and the status she has for whiteness, where she has no status at all, even if it's nice to pass. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yes, Irene passes for convenience. I will bring up, I think it's interesting. I don't know if we get this in the, um, in the movie. I can't remember. It's been 
a couple days since I saw it. But in the book, it's very clear. Irene grew up middle class. Like her parents were wealthy, whatever. Claire grew up lower class. So like she's married into a wealthy family. Like I think her dad was like a janitor and then her dad passes away and Claire is actually raised by white aunts once her dad passes away and she moves out of the neighborhood, which is why they haven't seen each other in such a long time. So I think also too, Claire is comfortable with Zoo because of her own childhood upbringing of like being sort of a janitor's daughter and being sort yeah. of invisible, being treated as invisible um, because, you know, my dad cleans up your mess. And so that's how you think of us as just the people that clean up your mess and not as like a person. And so right. I do think even with Zoo, I do think it's sincere. I agree that Claire has this like childlike, she doesn't really get boundaries. And I do feel like she's, even though like, you know, quote unquote, she has this, you know, wealth and she travels and she gets all these nice clothes and her husband is really wealthy. This quote unquote good life as like a white woman, she's very desperately lonely. And I think that's part of why she oversteps. But I I do think she is sincere in this kind of erasing of class boundaries because she grew up like knowing like this is this is fake and everybody is human as a human being and like and i just think even the way that they talk i the way that when in that scene i mentioned earlier um just the level of familiarity like the language it just felt yeah. like of most of the scenes in the movie that felt like the most like a girlfriend chat if that makes sense yeah no and like yeah, it does. and so yeah i agree i think she claire's just you know on some you know i do think she oversteps because she's lonely but i do think in that sense yeah that she just genuinely sees people because mm-hmm. she spent a childhood being kind of maybe ignored or, or oversteps and i think um Irene's character has only ever known class distinctions. And I think even in that time period, and even now, I think you could say that, you know, sort of an intra-African-American sometimes issue is that because, you know, and we talk about this when we talk about sort of misogynoir, right? Like this idea that like Black men step on Black women because they're still men and they want to have some status rather than no status at all. I think sometimes with Black women, it can be, you know, I'm married to a doctor or I'm middle class or I'm upper middle class or, you know, I'm in this sorority or whatever. And using that as a, a, a denigration or separation from other Black people, right? Or other Black women like, oh, you know, she's ghetto or like, you know, she yeah. works at McDonald's. So like we're not the same class of people and you know we only want to be around our kind of people which I will link is a really great book if you've not read about sort of black middle and upper class society from this time period into like I think in like early 70s it's just like a fascinating look into this idea of how even among African-Americans, like this idea of like intermarrying to preserve status, right? And it was very common for darker skinned black men to marry lighter skinned um, black women. And, you know, you wanted to, you know, marry a doctor. So it's like, you can't marry him. He's a teacher. So you're trying Mm -hmm. to like, so there's sort of this intra-racial caste or class system as well. And I feel like Tess Thompson, um, Irene's Irene um, is very dedicated to that sort of intra-racial class system. And so she has to be separate from Zoo. She cannot, we cannot, we can't kiki like that. Yeah, we can't be like, you know, buddies in that way. And to me, it really showed with like classism because Zoo, Zoo was darker skinned is that, you know, 
The opportunities and the way that Irene's treated and Claire's treated are ways that Zoo will never experience simply because she's darker skinned. And it's almost like the color of her skin even put her in a lower class um, aside from her financial status. Right. So because Zoo honestly wasn't much darker than Irene's husband. You know what I mean? But he's a male. Yes. He's a doctor. Yes. You know, so you can see those those elements there. But I did think that it was really interesting that, you know, Irene still had a very privileged life. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, having a nice big house, a brownstone and, you know, a housekeeper and her boys and all the things that she was involved in and hanging out with everybody in Harlem and being in, you know, invited to all these, you know, parties. So she still lived a very comfortable life. But at the same time, I feel like, yeah, she had that jealousy that she couldn't really flow in and out of white spaces with like the freedom, full freedom and ease. Like she couldn't go in and out without that anxious anxiety. Like somebody's going to discover me or I'm going to, you know, like she could never do it with the same ease that Claire did. Hey y'all, okay, I wanna talk to y'all about jewelry. You know how much I love jewelry. If you have seen any of the outfits that I have on, I'm guaranteed to have big earrings, usually a necklace, probably a gold chain. So I got hit up by some friends at Ana Luisa, A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A, Ana Luisa, and they have incredible jewelry and gold chains. Um, They also have earrings and rings and all those other things, but I love gold chains. So. I have several from them and I want you to check out some of their jewelry. It's super affordable. It starts off at $39. They have new collections released every Friday. Um, But also you can go on their website and get 20% off with our link. It's shop.analuisa.com forward slash melanated and you can get 20% off. So their pieces are incredible. You can get them starting at $39. And this is the sale time. So because of the holidays, run and get that sale, girl. Okay. Anyways, go check out the jewelry. Um, if not for you, get it for somebody else as a gift. You will not regret it. I love every single piece that I have. And they're all amazing, super cute chain necklaces. You will be seeing me wearing them. And I want you to go check it out too. AnnaLuisa.com. Yeah, I was going to say, I think to your point, one where place that I think that really comes out is when it comes to her youngest son and his education, because Claire talks about how her daughter, who is, you know, white like her mother, is going to a, like a fancy European boarding school and she's learning all these things. And you can see the like envy from Irene and she kind of mentions it to her husband and her husband is like, we are not sending our son to no European <laughs> boarding school. And it's just like even just like the differences, even with like exactly what you said, the sort of privileged life that they lead, there's a difference in opportunity available to her sons as young African-American men than there would be to Claire's daughter as a young white woman in the 19, in that, in that time period. And so, yeah, I think that it comes out really clearly that like, even for all of their privilege, there are some things that like, they just can't do even as, you know, 
even as privileged, well-resourced Black people, which I think is interesting. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the men of passing and the misogyny mm-hmm. uh, um, in addition to the racism. I mean, I think we have had a, a lot of conversations around um you know, just the kind of the unique racism, sexism, nexus that black women face um, because you're both a woman and you're and you're black. And I just the dynamic between Claire and her husband, I think the dynamic between Irene and her husband. And then I think his name was Hugh, that like yeah, famous Hugh. white auth- author um, who was in a couple of the party scenes and had some very as somewhat <laughs> he was an interesting character but i i guarantee you um black woman as you watch the movie you you know a hugh <laughs> i was gonna say we have all met a hugh <laughs> yeah we've all met one <laughs> you you know a hugh you you know him well um you know because in the movie he's this very famous celebrated author and him and his wife they're they're white um love to come down to harlem and associate and they kind of move freely in these harlem circles even as white people because it's like exciting to be near um black people and they are you know i think they would say they would consider themselves very enlightened and yeah like they they wokeish wokeish because they like spending time with black people but (laughs) i'm like i'm trying to like think yeah like hugh oversteps he um does not essentially is tells Irene he doesn't really like Claire and it's because Claire won't cater to his idea of what a black woman should be and won't give him the time of day and is not interested in him like his escapade to hang out with yeah like I don't know I feel like he's kind of like was flirting with her and she wasn't giving him what he wanted and so suddenly you know she's like you know, bad, you know, and he has no, no interest in her because she shouldn't have agency. Like, it, it's kind of like, how dare you? Do you know who I am? Kind of attitude. And then, yeah, and it's just interesting to see how Claire reacts to Hugh versus how Claire's with her husband, because she has no problem putting Hugh in his place. But with her husband, because it's, I mean, that's kind of know, like life or death. It's no, I was gonna say it's dangerous. Her husband is like a violent angry racist not kind of like a mild racism like it is like he's angry he's bad and you know and here she is denying herself agreeing with him like yeah i hate black people too girl you know so i mean i'd be scared of him too if i'm listening to somebody spew vile racist things that really relate to me and then you know i'm over here you know um agreeing with what he has to say so that way he won't find out that i am the very thing he despises right so she has she's she has a lot more trepidation with her husband and a lot more fear but yeah with hugh it's just kind of like i don't care about you but i think that's much of claire's embodiment either way she just kind of doesn't care you know what i mean like she's she has this like level of freedom and autonomy that's just kind of like whatever it is what it is and i think it's because she like you said has been afforded the opportunity to live in both worlds a black world and a white world one in which she can flow freely through both and is not intimidated by people in either place except her husband that could quite literally kill her so yeah yeah i think yeah i think it was 
yeah, her husband could definitely kill her. And it's like the, just the like, and it's interesting because it's like, when you think about marriage and it's like, oh, this is a partnership, you're my team. Like the whole time I'm just like, Claire, you're literally sleeping with an enemy. You're literally sleeping with someone who hates you. And I don't know how you like laugh and put on fancy dresses and go to fancy places and because I will say it's not like it never comes up. I mean, this man, yeah. the first meeting he has with her childhood friend makes clear he out of nowhere almost that he hates black people. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't I, I Claire, I, I don't that part really got to me of like, I don't understand how she was able to shut her head off in that way. But I will say, you know, as the movie goes on, it's interesting because there are consequences like this we've talked about you know they're passing there's not it's not without a cost there are huge huge consequences um for as much as Claire kind of leaves her lives her life in this kind of carefree manner I don't want to give any spoilers but it there are huge consequences and you know it changes things for everybody and so I think this idea that you um can kind of move through in that way and not be not have to pay the piper is not realistic and you know thinking back to an early episode when we had Joe Saxon on and she talked about assimilation um actually being poisonous I think this movie makes a really great case for you're harming yourself when you totally deny who you are for prolonged periods of time like there you're just you're just not going to get off scot-free even if you feel like you're moving through carefree and things are coming up roses you're not going to get off scot-free yeah there's there's always a price to pay and there's always consequences associated with a denial of yourself and of your own humanity. There's consequences when you deny somebody else's humanity and what comes from that. And there's consequences when you deny your own. So either way, like you said, you're going to have to pay the piper because um, you're going to feel the effects of those. So when you assimilate and, you know, stuff happens, things hit the fan, you're going to feel that. When um, you are belittling people and treating them wrong and saying things that are unkind, when you're being, you know, saying racist things, you're going to feel the effects of that. Like those things have consequences. And so I think like you're saying, Claire moves with a freedom that, you know, it's kind of like, I don't have any consequences, but I dare to say Claire knew that, you know, there wasn't full freedom. It was just how long can I get away with this until I can't get away with this anymore? Oh, that's good. That's good. I haven't thought about that, that she kind of was aware that she was, yeah, playing it kind of fast playing with fire you know yeah. like yeah i'm gonna do this until you know it's not useful yeah. for me to do it anymore or until i'm discovered yeah and i think it's interesting even for irene when she passes it's about convenience and it just is like little things you know we're being it's like so interesting like the, the couple of times where we see her in the movie we mentioned when she um goes into the hotel it's a really hot day she can get iced tea but there's also the scene where she's looking for this like specific toy that her her son really wants for his birthday and she can go to any store to like look for it even stores that only serve white people and so it's just like these little everyday conveniences of being white that like at 
that um, you can take for granted. Um, I think the movie does a really great job of capturing just like the just and just thinking about those kinds of things stacking up on top of themselves. Like if you're a mom, especially as we approach kind of like the holiday season where everybody is like looking for like particular toys and our issues with the supply chain and just thinking about like the privilege to be able to go into any store versus like just the anxiety of like feeling limited in your choices. Or I think even if, you know, today, obviously, well, I won't say obviously, there's less restrictions on, you know, this is a store for white people only, but, you know, for, you know, African-American women, okay, I might be followed around in this store, like this, you know, am I going to have, um, an incident like when you return things. I don't know of any black woman that returns things to stores that doesn't come in the store with like the receipt in her hand or like very handy on her phone. So she cannot be accused of stealing anything. And just the like toll of those like indignant indignities. But I think also too, just like, yeah, you just don't think about those like little small things that you do or don't do where being white or black matters. And I felt like the movie did a really great job of, of showing like the little, things uh the little benefits um even as it also examined the big cost um okay guys well i hope that you will see passing but before we kind of close down the episode so faith what do you think of the movie bless or mess (laughs) Mm, i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it a Bless for the concepts that it's sharing that I think will spark important conversations. Um, and if I was to give it a number out of like one out of 10, I think I would say like a seven. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I also would bless it. I would say I would give it an eight. Um, I hope that both Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nega are nominated for Oscars for their performances. For sure. Because like I said, Tessa, them looks girl. Tessa did a great job. You were killing it with them size and them side eyes. Yes. Oscar worthy. (laughs) Um, I agree. (laughs) And we'll all link in the show notes, the book, Our Kind of People and then also to, um, I think it was in the New York Times. I'll link it about an interview with Rebecca Hall, the director. And because I think that's like really important context and it really adds to uh, I think it really adds a layer to um, your viewing experience. And I also will add a link to the book passing. I highly recommend um, the movie is like I said, I would give it an eight, but the book is just. Nella Larson is a genius and I feel like she's one of those um, I was lucky enough to read it in college as like an assigned reading for like an African-American literature class but I feel like she's one of those she has a very fascinating backstory I, I encourage you to like look into that but she's one of those sort of forgotten geniuses uh, black woman geniuses um, and I encourage you to rediscover her so thank you guys for listening to our review now we're gonna do your favorite segment and ours go, go off sis Hey, hey. Okay, well, there's so much to go off about. I'm going to start. I'm going to start with my mess first because I would like to keep the bless for for last. So the mess um, that I'm experiencing um, currently in this moment, well, I've just gotten over a cold. And I want to say, 
that the mess of this situation is that I really have not been sick in two years, okay? Because you've been inside. Because I've been in the house, okay? And then everybody's been profusely washing their hands and, you know, all kind of things like that. Well, apparently the hand washing is over <laughs> and the all of the stuff is back. So as many of you know, I live with my brother and his family. Everybody got sick, okay? The kids, I was listening to them cough up. Uh, you know, my roommates next door. Ha, 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 ha. Okay. Then my sister-in-law got sick. My brother, I mean, he barely gets sick. He was sick for a day. Okay. And so it was, I knew, I knew it was going to come to me. I was hoping it wouldn't, but I knew it was going to come to me and it hit me last. So I was just feeling like this is a mess. I was really grateful for the time when most of us were feeling uh, our best selves, barely sick, okay, because everyone was washing their hands and in the house and sanitizing and wiping down. You remember when people used to wipe down the carts for you when you went in the store? Yeah, that's over. Anyway, um, and I can tell. So that's the mess. Um, I'm just taking, you know, medicine and everything. The bless is you know, thank God for, this is two blesses. Part one is thank God for whiskey and Theraflu that has gotten me through. Um, yes, I mixed them together and that just knocked this thing right on out. Okay. I, and vitamins. Um, so Babe, you're an old black woman. When I tell you my great aunt used to swear, but like she never drank. She was like a total, you know, teetotaler, black Baptist woman, like, oh, alcohol is of the devil. But when she got sick, whiskey theraflu oh vaseline a little um what Listen, is it vix vapor rub vix yes i was putting peppermint oil on my chest that's all i have to say and it's young living so i'm pretty much burning the living daylights out of me but you know what i didn't care because i want it to get better and i have things to do like i have things to do i can't take this anymore um the other bless is that my fiance and i will no longer be long distance and for that, I am eternally grateful. So he'll be moving into um, his apartment. And I'm just so excited to not be engaged in a long distance relationship. It was different dating and being in a long distance relationship, but being engaged and yeah. then you're trying to plan a wedding long distance. This, shout out to all of you who can do that. That was not meant for me. So I am very glad that we're going to be in the same ministry. place. Yes, I love it. Yes. Yes. Yay for being in the same city. Um, okay, so my mess is going to be, I think a few weeks ago, I mentioned fall sports. Mm -hmm. And one of my faves, Aaron Rodgers. So I feel like I have to come back to this. I have two messes, actually, now that I think about it. And my thing with Aaron Rodgers, as much as I love him, is... It is your personal choice whether or not to be vaccinated. So that's not really where, where my critique comes from. My critique, and this is actually a general frustration with a lot of people who do this. Anytime anybody challenges you on anything to pull Martin Luther King Jr. into it, like, leave, leave him out of it. Leave him out of it. You know, like, I just, it's just like to equate not being vaccinated with black people, not being able to sit at lunch counters, not being able to get jobs, having their houses and lives threatened and bombed. And you're 
as you're saying this, you're in your comfortable multi-million dollar home, like you only have to sit out 10 days and then you get to go back to do the thing that you love. Those situations are no way equivalent. And I just feel like y'all are bringing Martin Luther King Jr. into a lot of things he has no business being in, does not want to be in. You know, we can play the NeNe leaks. Now, how am I in it? Sound effect. <laughs> because Martin, <laughs> let that man rest in peace. You know, if Dr. If Reverend Bernice King is talking about it. OK, but for the rest of us, we need to pump our brakes because I, I feel like we're just getting a little too fast and loose with Dr. King's name. So that's my I mean, and she said it. She said, keep my dad's name out your mouth. Keep him out of her, your mouth. And my second mess is you guys know I'm in Texas. This thing with Astroworld, it just is so upsetting to me. I love concerts. I love festivals. In my in my youth, I love festivals. Now, in my 30s, I need to have a seat. So I don't, I won't be doing that. <laughs> I'm past the general admission stage. But y'all, some of my best memories of my 20s are going to music festivals like Coachella and ACL. And it just... You just have no expectation that something like that would happen. And I just feel like there needs to be accountability all around. I think Travis Scott needs to reevaluate how he engages his audience. I think Live Nation, I think Houston Police Department and Fire Department, there's accountability for everyone. And I also want to say in some of the videos that were going on online, to see people passing out and the people around them just be so callous and so absorbed in kind of their own enjoyment i you know i saw this one video where a guy was trying to rescue people and he's so he's pulling them into the vip section and this woman is yelling at him and pushing people back into the crowd because she's like you're not supposed to be here and i just want to say guys like we are human beings to like help someone who's clearly in distress so that was a mess um my bless is we are going on our first family vacation in two years. Yeah, since the and it has been like a really challenging season for our family. And so I'm just really excited to like um it's just coming at a good time. We're for Thanksgiving, we're not gonna have like a traditional Thanksgiving. We're just gonna veg out and do nothing and it's gonna be awesome. And I'm really thrilled to have this opportunity to make memories of my family. So that is my bless. That's so good. Yeah. I love that for you. But I will be wiping I'm not done with the the Clorox wipes and the oh. Lysol. Okay. We'll be Come wiping. On. I, I don't know. I will be wiping all these things down. because I just don't know if anything's clean anymore. I don't know. So, I don't yeah, know. You just I don't trust it. Take caution, okay? And if you need to, just go buy a little thing of whiskey. I, You know what? After this, I am like a firm believer. I mean, I knew it, but... I'd never mixed whiskey and Theraflu, but I was desperate, okay? And then I just prayed. I mixed What's that thing to together me? and prayed to God. It's like your brother and probably your niece and nephew probably bounced back up, but you got it and they had you down bad. <laughs> Listen, I know. I'm like, come on, what is happening? So now even the kids, sometimes they have a little cough, you know, and they go to school. So, you know, kids are germ carriers. And so I'm around my niece and nephew all the time. So now when they cough, I'm like, please, like... I mean, I know you're like two and four. You don't even know how to, you barely know how to cover your mouth. But guys, I'm like, do I need to wear a mask? Like, I just don't want to get it. Like, I just do not want to get it. Like, I just overcame. Don't take me back down. 
Anyways, well, thanks guys for joining us for this review episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. And um, we'll definitely be posing um, a few questions about the movie in our Patreon group if you want to hop over there and write down some comments or thoughts um, of how you felt about the movie. We would love to hear from you and um, just to connect with you. And if you aren't on Patreon, you should definitely join us there because we are reviewing Insecure episode by episode and um, we just posted a new review. And so we hope that you go and watch it and hang out with us. So thanks for hanging out. Bye.